This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers, listeners, subscribers, wherever else you're wearing, you're hearing this. Welcome to our live people uh, that are alive, Baruch Hashem. So <clears throat> tonight we're continuing on what we spoke about last week, um, but it's a little bit of a different angle. So last week we spoke about things that causes somebody to lose money, meaning there are, just like there are certain schoolot to making money, which we'll, there's others I'm speak about today, but there's, on the other hand, there's also a schoolot to lose money. And this is what we spoke about last week, different things of, um, you know, related to tzniot, related to anger, related to machloka, to shalom, to all these different aspects we spoke about, uh, you know, last week which I think is a very, very important topic and also to consider, because not only do you want to learn how to be able to have a lot of money, but you also want to be able to learn also not how to lose that money. So that's the goal for tonight, to learn about different things of school for gaining extra wealth. Tonight, we are learning to Chaya Malka Bat Bacheva and to Zohar Etna Bas Hena Meriam and Leilunishmat Chava Malka Bas Fred and... David Moshe Ben Zion and Ephraim Ben Ruth. Also, we're learning Lelut Nishmat, Avram Ben Tzila, and Yecheskel Ben Avraham. Okay, so the way we're trying to, uh, I guess I'll, I'll explain it as a topics that I would like to, to cover in this type of class. And again, I, I don't know if I'll get to all of them today. We might have to do this another in, a, in a, like a three-part series. But I want to get through, when dealing with skulot for panasa, I want to get through eight different topics. Number one is prayer, emunah, learning Torah, Shabbat, food, brachot, benching, and stakah. So those are the eight things that I want to uh, I want to speak about. I don't know if we'll get through to all of them. I don't think we'll get through the tzedakah portion that we might have to leave for the following week. But those are the things. Those are the topics that I do want to um, to, to get get through today. So of course, when dealing with schoolot, when dealing with and by the way, this goes for like all schoolot, like anything of your that you want, whether it's children, whether it's uh, uh, marriage, wh- whatever it is you want. Your first schoolot always is prayer. That's the davening. The first, first gula always starts off like that. The, and people get confused, or, or people maybe misunderstand, that they think that they do the efforts, they do the, the hishtadlos, and then they do, so let's say for example, it's, it's working. So they, do, they go to the job, they make the, you know, they go to whatever it is their business, and they put in the effort, and then they go and they pray, and that prayer sort of supports the efforts that they did already. So you have the physicality, you have the efforts that you did, and then the prayer goes and supports what you did, what you focused on in the, in the physical sense. But <coughs> that's a little bit of a, of, a, of a misunderstanding of the concept, because the more that we pray, the more siyata deshmaya, the more divine help that we will get, and the less effort that we will technically need to, you know, put through. So, you know, people think of it as, as, and again, I'm just throwing out numbers. But let's say physical effort is 80% of the job, and prayer or the spiritual effort is 20% of the job. And really, it's more likely that it's switched around those numbers rather than the, within 80% for work, rather it is 80% in the spiritual sense. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, all you need to do is, is a, do a, you know, 20% of whatever effort that you've been putting now because you're going to set up all the 80% of the effort in spirituality. Maybe you can, but for the majority of people, probably not. So 
rather the the idea of this is just the focus on the understanding of the importance, or maybe maybe better yet, the better terminology would be the way that you weigh it. The way that you weigh your importance of your prayers, of your spiritual endeavors, of your spiritual pursuits, that goes, it coincides very, very much so, very, very strongly connected to your physical accomplishments and to what you want to accomplish. So the Gemara in Ida, page 70b, goes and says, the Chachamim of Alexandria went and asked, what should a person do to become wealthy? So Rabbi Yeshua said to them, said he should increase in time in merchandise and business and conduct his business faithfully. So the sages go back to respond to, to, to Rabbi Yeshua, and they said, well, but many people do this. They do their business honestly and faithfully, and they, can, they involve themselves with business, but they're still not wealthy. So what, what is it that they're missing? So says Rabbi Yeshua replied, rather they should pray for mercy. They have to pray for mercy. People don't forget that. It's a very, very essential aspect. People go and they start a business. And they go and they get they hire the best people. And they go and they, they get the best equipment. And they, they, everything top of the line. But one big factor that they're missing is that they're forgetting about God. They're forgetting about Hashem and their business. And that is a crucial partner in your business that you want to have. As it says in Haggai, chapter 2, verse 8, it says, zav Hashem tzvakot. It says, the silver and the gold that's mine. Everything belongs to God. You want to be successful? There's one place that you're getting it from, and that is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Uh, <clears throat> When dealing with prayer, most know, especially you go to, you go, you go to a good Sephardi, you know, shul, and you see a guy, and he's, and he's, when they, what happens when they get to, to Ashray, when they say, you have to see over there, they over, everybody becomes a chazan. Poteach et yadecha! Everybody is on the top. And rightfully so. Don't get me wrong. It's beautiful. But there's something special about this pasuk that we say in Ashrei. It's in, this is a pasuk in Tehilim, chapter 145, verse 16. This is a pasuk that people know that it has to do with panasah, has to do with money. But not a lot of people know that what are the kavanot, the concentration, at least kabbalistically speaking, what you're supposed to have when you say this. So when you take the words poteach et yadecha, Really, I should take my board. I don't have my board. I've got to get my board. I really should have brought my board again. But anyways, bear, picture it with me. Poteach yadecha. So poteach yadecha, the, the acronym, the first letters of poteach yadecha is pay for poteach, aleph for et, yud for yadecha. You take the letters pay aleph, yud. This has a numerical value of 91. Also, there's a difference, uh, you know, shame of Abba Baruch which we're not going to get into that Kabbalistically, but there is an aspect in that. That has a numerical value of 91, which is equal to the numerical value of Yud Vavke, which is 26. And, uh, you know, Ado, the, the word Adoshem, which is 65. 26 plus 65 is 91, the same numerical value as the acronym of these letters, Pei, Aleph, and Yud. Pei is 80, Aleph is 1, that's 81, and Yud is 10, that's 91. Now you take the last letters. So when you're when you're reading this, you're thinking about that that word, pay alafud. Then you're also thinking about the last letters of that of those three words is potach is chet, et is taf, and then yadecha is chaf. So you're thinking of chet, tef, taf, and chaf. This in Atbash, which I don't know how many people are familiar, but it's one of the the, the different things when you're dealing with gematrias. Atabash means that you take, uh, the, there's letters that can be interta- interchanged, so to speak. So you have the Aleph, you basically put the letters, there's 22 letters in the alphabet, so you take the first 11, then you take the next 11, and then those interswitch. So the Aleph goes for the Taf, the Bet goes for the Shin, the Gimel goes for the Resh, and so on and so forth. So you take an Atabash, 
And that's why Atbash means. Atbash literally spells out those letters. Aleph, At, to Taf. Bash, Bet, to Shiv. It's explaining to you how to use it. So that's Atbash. Uh, maybe one day we'll speak more about uh, um, about it when we if we ever deal about the, a class on gematrios. Beautiful, beautiful ideas. But anyways, so in Atbash, you take the letters Pei Aleph Yud. That I'm sorry, you take the letters Chaf, Chet. I'm sorry, Chet, Chaf, uh, and 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 Taf. That you get into uh, that you get into um, into the letters Samach Aleph and Lamed. Samach Aleph and Lamed. These letters. Are the represent? This is the, actually the name of the angel in charge of Panasa, and Samach Aleph and Lamed. Samach is sixty. Aleph is one. Lamed is thirty. Also has a same numerical value of ninety-one. So when you're going and you're saying Potechet Yadecha, when you're saying Ashrei, this is something that you're supposed to think about. You think about Potechet Yadecha, the first letters. That's that's Pei Aleph Yud. And uh, then you're also thinking about the last letters, Chetaf and Chaf. And those in Atbash represent Samach Aleph Lamed, which is the name of the angel you know, in charge of Panasa, which again is the same numerical value as 91. So it's interesting. The first letters have the same numerical value of 91. The second letters, in At- the, the last of the letters, have also the uh, same numerical value of 91. I hope you're still with me. 91 is also the same numerical value as Amen. Amen is Aleph, Mem, and Nud. So Aleph is 1, Mem is 40, Nun is 50, that equals to 91. What happens when you say Amen? So somebody says a bacha, someone gives you a blessing, we say Amen. What is Amen? What, what, what does that word mean? So Amen literally means that you believe the acceptance of the words. But when you think about it, the, the word Emunah has the same shorish, has the same root as Amen. And we know it says in Mishlei, in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 20, Ish emunot rav brachot. A trustworthy man, a man of emunah, will have many, many blessings. And there is special blessings that come with emunah. The, there was a story that there was a, was a, was a girl who grew up in a, in a family that didn't have any money. This family was blessed with a lot of girls, but they didn't have a lot of money. And when the oldest girl finished high school, she knew that, listen, the family didn't have any money, so she didn't even ask for her to go to seminary in Israel. Seminary in Israel is where girls, after high school, they go to, they go to Israel to study for a year, and there they, they focus a lot on Hashkafah. They, they really instill tremendous amount of spiritual uh, benefit. But at the same point in time, they are hosting you know, uh, girls in a foreign country, and of course, it, it ends up being a pretty penny, and people could pay a, a lot of money for this year in Israel. So it costs a lot of money, and not everybody is able to go. So this one girl who lived in this uh, you know, family that didn't, wasn't so financially you know, wealthy, realized you know, when she came of age to go to seminary to Israel, she didn't even bring it up because she knew her family wouldn't be able to afford it. And she decided, you know what, why should I cause hardship? It's very difficult when parents don't have money or don't have enough money to give to their children. It's very painful for, for a child to ask for something and a parent to say, listen, I can't. A parent doesn't want to say I can't. A parent wants to get everything that he can to the child. So a smart child knows that, listen, I'm not going to ask my parents because I know they won't be able to do it, so why should I put them in a difficult situation? So the oldest child picked it up on this and decided that she is not going to ask the parents to go to Israel. She rather went to a local seminary in, uh, uh, you know, in New York, and you know, everything went well. The second daughter, two years go by, she graduates high school, and it's time for her, or she's about to graduate high school, it's time for her to apply for seminary. So uh, she brings up, she says, um, you know, not like a sister who kept it to herself. She brought up, she says, you know, um, you know I, I, I would like to go to uh, Eretz Yisrael. I would like to go to Israel to go and learn. 
So the father goes and says, you know, while I would love to send you to Israel, you know, financially speaking, we, you know, we won't be able to do it. And she's like, the daughter responds, says, but yeah, but, you know, I was thinking about it, it's going to be really good for me. I will gain a lot from it. I will be able to grow a lot from it. And she gave a list. And the father was like, I agree with you. I'm not saying that you're not going to grow. I'm not saying that's not going to be beneficial. I'm just saying that it's just not possible. So that was the end of that conversation. A few weeks go by. And the daughter was speaking to the father. And she's sort of like, you know, kind of on the side, kind of mentioned like, yeah, when I go to Israel next year, I'm going to be in, you know, seminary. You know, she kind of mentioned in passing. And the father's like, wait, what? Like, what, what did you say? She's like, she's like, you know, when I'm in Israel and I want to go, you know, like, he's like, I thought we uh, discussed about this. And she's like, no. She's like, listen. She, she goes to her father and she says, I'm going to go to Israel. And the father says, oh, really? <laughs> You're going to go to Israel? Is that so? And she's like, yeah. So look, I have emunah and bitachon. That Israel is where I need to be. And I know that God will go and send me to Israel. However it is, I will get there. Don't worry, you know, I'm not worried about it, Father. You don't have to be worried about it. And the father goes to her and says, listen, he says, if somehow miraculously you're going to be able to make it happen, you know, that will be unbelievable. But soon as the applications for going for seminary, and I know that you will want to go and you will want to, um, go, apply, to go to Israel, but you have to at least apply to a, sem- a local seminary. And if for somehow something will happen in Israel, then whatever, we'll deal with it then. So the father convinced you have to apply both, in America and in Israel. So she said, fine. The application season came, she applied to both of them, she had an interview in both of them. She comes in, and she goes after both interviews, she tells, you know, she tells her parents, she says, you know, the interview in America, she says, I aced that interview. Is like there that like everything they asked me, I got like I was like literally their textbook kid, like their textbook applicant. That was me. But then she says, when I went to the Israeli interview, he says I flopped that on so many levels, I didn't even know. Meanwhile, the father is thinking. He says, you see, Ishtabach Shemol is showing you what the where, where the way to go is. But he didn't say that. He kept telling himself. A few weeks go by. She gets a phone call from the American seminary, and the American seminary goes the one that she aced. And she says, uh, you know, they tell her, it says, listen, it uh, didn't work, uh, you know, it didn't sound like you would be a good fit to the seminary. And she's thinking, he's like, what? He says, I aced, every, I'm like, everything you wanted, that's what I am. But she, what is she going to start saying that? She's an 18-year-old girl, she's not going to start talking back. She was a good girl. So she said, okay, thank you very much for calling me. Nothing, you know, two days, three days go by. She gets a phone call from the, uh, from the seminary in Israel. And this, the one that she thought she flopped, she said every answer wrong. And they call her up, and they say, you know, when you came and you interviewed us, and she's like, yeah, I know. She, and they go, and they say, you know, we were so impressed with you. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, what? She's like, I'm sorry, you said what? And, she's like, and they're like, yeah, we were so impressed with you. You're like literally everything that we wanted. Like everything that we wanted is exactly in you. And like, we're, we're so happy. We really want you to come to, um, you know, to Israel. And I know we spoke about there's some sort of financial issue. So I'll tell you what, we're going to give you a certain, uh, you know, cut in the tuition. You got a certain, um, you know, I've got the word that they use. They give certain, you know, discounts on their, on their tuition. So, and... And, and she goes over and she says, what's the discount? And it turned out the discount was very, it was like a significant discount. 
So she goes scholarship. Thank you very much. That's what it was. She got she got a scholarship for um, you know for for the seminary, and it came out that it was it was only slightly more than what she would have paid in the marriage, like a crazy crazy scholarship. She goes to her father and she says, "Look," and the father says, "Listen," he says, "At this point, this is obviously from God." And uh, he says, but there's one thing, you know, like your older sister didn't get to go. I don't want her to feel bad. When the older sister heard about it, she says, listen, he says, I'm not going to feel bad. You definitely should go. I know I didn't get to go, but this is definitely, you see the hand of God, uh, you know, working on it. Here. There's like no way that any seminary would ever give this type of, uh, you know, like discount. They're like, it's crazy how it worked out. He says, this is Shemaim. He says, you should go with my full blessing. And she ended up going to Israel. And we see over here the power that you have, when you have a munah bitachon, it really gives you so much, it's crazy on how much just believing in something can give you, believing in the right thing, can give you that power. There was, um, you know, a bachar, it was a, it was a, it was a single guy who went and asked his friend, he, it was, this was in Israel, quite a few years ago, he asked him if he plans on going to Rav Shalom Shwadron's shir. Every, uh, you know, every week the, there was a weekly uh, Friday night Musar shir that was given in Zirchan Moshe in, in Yerushalayim. And it was given by none other than the famous Rav Shalom Shadron, the famous speaker. So the, these two boys were talking to each other and says, you know, one was saying to his friend, are you going? And the boy's like, nah, you know, I already heard all his stuff. I know all his, all his joshas, all his speeches. He says, uh, you know, I, you know... There's no, even though he says it in different ways, all the points come out, you know, kind of towards the, the, the same point, and I already got that, so I, I don't think I'm going to go. And then, this boy, suddenly who he's talking to, just freezes, and the other boy is like, he's right behind me, isn't he? And he turns around, and who's there is Rav Shalom Shadron, is standing right there, where, and he overhears, this boy goes, and, and, and they're speaking, and says, no, I'm not going to go, because he always says about the same thing. Now, it's funny because the story doesn't say what happened after that. I am so curious of what happened. If the rabbi was like, said anything, it's very the type to be like, the rabbi didn't say anything. The boy felt very, who knows what happened, you know, and they each went a separate way. But regardless, the story goes on and Rav Shalom Shadron was going and giving the speech on Friday night. And he looks, who walks in? None other than these two boys. The boy that said that he's not, that he knows everything that Rav Shalom Shadron said. I guess maybe he saw him and he felt bad. He decided he's going to come. He comes in. Rav Shalom Shadron goes and sees him, and he starts off with a mashal, with a parable. And he starts off, and he goes and he says that, you know, someone was driving, I'll make it more applicable, someone was driving an ocean parkway, this is not what Rav Shadron was saying, but imagine someone was driving an ocean parkway, and he takes his car, and he parks it diagonally in the middle of the street. I'm paraphrasing a little bit of what Rav Shadron was saying, but the idea is the same. He, he, he blocks off like two lanes, in the, you know, in the, in, you know, in the street. And then he pops out his trunk and he takes out a lawn chair and he sits in front of his car with the lawn chair, opens up a newspaper, leans back, forever doesn't know what a newspaper was. It used to be in the olden days. There used to be papers they used to go and people used to read it before they used to do, uh, you know, this thing. So he would open up, read the newspaper and start going through it. Meanwhile, there's traffic that's piling behind. He is enjoying got a little iced lemonade sitting in his cup holder over there, and he is sipping on that lemonade, reading his newspaper. The car starts honking and honking, and he's sitting there without a care in the world. After about 10 minutes, the cars are not stopping to honk. So finally, he gets up, he turns around to all these cars, and he says, why are you keep on repeating the same honks over and over and over again? I get it, I get it, I heard you the first time. So there's no need to honk again and again. So the people 
Again, this can't be in Brooklyn because this would not be the response that you would get in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, let's not get into that. Uh, They go out and they say, we will continue honking until you get the message. If you're standing and blocking the road, that means you didn't get the message that we don't want you here. We have places to be. We're very important people. Everybody's very important. We're very busy. We always have to go somewhere. We're always rushing. You need to leave. And until you leave, we're going to keep on honking until you get our message. Says Rav Shalom Shadran. He goes and he says that, you know, I say my, my, my drushas and I always come to very, very similar points. He says, you want to know why? He says, looking at these, you know, these boys. He says, because you need to hear the concepts again and again. Until you change, and until if you don't change, that means you didn't internalize it into your heart. And that's why I'm going to repeat it again and again and again and again. And this is the aspect when dealing with emunah. When dealing with emunah, you know, people go and they think, okay, I heard this concept already. I'm familiar that you have to have certain kavanot. I'm familiar that you have to have certain emunah, certain bitachon, and certain things. But until it becomes part of you, until you change then it means that you didn't hear the message and you have to listen to it again and again and again. With that, was just an introduction to a story that I'm about to say that I said before numerous times, but that's the idea. They have to hear it again and again and again until internalized because this story is so powerful. I find one of these stories extremely powerful and I said it so many times, but again, when it comes to Emunah, in general, I don't like repeating things. I remember someone speaking to somebody says, why don't you like repeating things? No one listens anyways. You know, so it doesn't matter. Like, you can repeat the same things again and again. People are not going to really remember. But I, I generally don't like repeating things. But when it comes to certain aspects, I learned. And this is not... When I first started speaking, I used to go and make sure that I would not repeat one thing. And I, and I used to try to write where I spoke and what I spoke. And now I realize that's not the correct way to do it. Because if there's something important, there is an aspect of repeating things. And in fact, I'll tell you the important things. that When I would go... And I would listen to, <clears throat> let's say, other speakers, other darshanim, other rabbanim speaking. And I noticed that they speak again and again. And, be like, and my first initial thought would be like, oh, wait, I heard about this. I heard this already. But then I thought about it. I'm like, you know why I remembered it? You know why I thought it? Because these other rabbanim, they're saying these things numerous times. So it sort of instills it in you. You hear it so many times, that's when you're getting it. Of course, chazar is important. And of course, repetition is very important. But we don't realize that sometimes repeating the same class twice, three times, four times, or the same idea, that's the only thing that's going to get through. That is the only thing that you take away. So that being said, the Rashash and Rabbi Yisrael Salanter were once having an argument. They were, they were discussing about the, the subject of Bidachon, and they were saying, what is the level of the power of this Bidachon? So the Rashash says that, you're allowed to trust in God only for the basic necessities. Regarding luxuries, what, are you going to start trusting in God that He's going to give you luxuries? Who says? Maybe yes, maybe no. Says Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Says no, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter says that even you, a person can have bitachon, emunah bitachon, in something that is not his basic needs, even his luxuries, and that God will also grant. So they were going back and forth. He says, you know what, let's make an experiment. So Rabbi Yisrael Salanter goes and says, look, he says, I don't have a watch. I do sometimes need a watch. However, I can live without a watch. I don't need it. It's a sort of a luxury. But if I'm now going to believe with firm imunah, firm bitachon, that God would supply me with a watch, and he's going and he's focusing on his imunah and bitachon, and that God will give him a watch, not a moment goes by. 
Again, this is the level of Rabbi Shal Salanter. Don't be upset if it doesn't happen to you. <laughs> you know, you're thinking about it. I'll be like, oh, why didn't I win the lottery yet? I'm thinking with him when I'm the I mean, Bezad Hashem for each and every one of you. But uh, uh, but again, this is something that on the level of Rabbi Shal Salanter, he was thinking about it, having his kavanot. And at that moment, the door opened up. The bed midash, the door opens up, and who walks in? A Jewish soldier. He goes over to the Rashash, and he says that you know, in his division, there was a Jewish soldier passed away. And they, his last request was that his watch should be brought to the Graz Shul, which they were sitting in. Again, there's different variations to the stories, but whatever, they all, they all come to the same point. He brought, he brought this watch to the Graz Shul, and he gave it over to the Rashash. And now, the Rashash was sitting where we told Sandra, they were having this conversation. Now, the minute goes by, a soldier knocks at the door and says, hey, this is for you. And the Rashash looks at the watch... And he says, and he says, you know what? He goes to the Rabbi Shalom and he says, no, this is not for me. And he goes to the Rabbi Shalom this is for you. And he says, you can see over here, and uh, uh, you know that the, that Rabbi Shalom was correct. That you're able to have a munah and bitachon to the level of even the luxuries you're able to have. Now again, that doesn't mean that you should put yourself into debt for your luxuries and having a munah and bitachon that God will cover all your debt. Again, to each person their own, but for the majority of the people, this is not something that you should go. You should obviously spend wisely and structure your finances correctly. But there is an aspect that if you have a high level of a munah and bitachon, that will even grant you things that is not your basic necessities. So with that being said, let's try to think of the different, uh, let's try to discuss the different uh, aspects of, of emunah b'dachon that are related to prayer. So the first thing that we said is potechet yadecha, the things that you have to concentrate during ashray, what are you supposed to concentrate again for the power of the skula of panasah. Now there's another famous one besides potechet yadecha, and that is parashat haman. So parashat haman is a uh, section in the Torah that speaks about that when Jewish people were in the desert, they were given food from heaven. And this was known as the man. The food fell from heaven and to each, you know, to each person on, on their own level, some people fell right in front. If they were righteous, it fell right in front. If they were less righteous, they had to go further away and they have to, they have to collect it. But at the end of the day, people got food from heaven. Now there is a skula. And if you didn't know it, so it's good that you hear it now. There is a skula that if you say parashat haman every single day, again, it's in most sidurim. After Aleinu, there's a few things. There's the Shloshas Karim, there's the six constant mitzvahs, there's a few things. There's, there's tshuva, there's different things that come. And after that, usually speaks about, it says, Parashat Haman. Again, there's different things if you're supposed to do, you know, it's better to do it with, uh, you know, with the Targum, with the translation. But, for the general, easy, simple understanding, saying Parashat Haman every single day is Kula for Panasat. So now, there was a question I asked, I'd be like, wait a minute, but there's a lot of people that say Parashat Haman Every single day, and they're still poor. They don't have any money. How do you deal? It's a good question. All these schoolot. You have somebody that does all the schoolot, and they still upon us not coming down. So what do you do? So in order to understand this, we have to understand what is the idea, the concept behind saying parshataman. Parshataman is the concept is is strengthening your emunah, your trust in God, that God had the showed everybody that He is able to go. And feed everybody in the desert where it's barren, where there is no other food. God send literally food from heaven down to you. See, explains the Chafetz Chaim something beautifully. That let's say somebody was eating the man. Now the way that the man worked is whatever food you thought about, that's what it tasted like. Can you imagine how awesome that is? Imagine there's a dish. You know how expensive that'll be? That you could decide whatever it is that you want it to taste like, that's what it's going to taste like. 
So God not only gave us this crazy, miraculous food, but also at an enjoyment that's unparalleled to something that we've ever t- dealt with before. That you can, Whatever you think about it, that's what it tastes like. One bite could be ice cream, another bite could be steak. It's like, like, like levels of like, you know, dealing in the, like, the magical realm of, of uh, food. Says the Chavetz Chaim, what happens if somebody was eating the man and they didn't think of any food? What did it taste like? So says the Chavetz Chaim, says if he didn't give any thought, then it didn't have any taste. Explains the Chavetz Chaim, likewise, if one says Pashat Haman, without thinking about it, you're just reading it, you know, you say the words, and after you finish it, you'll be like, oh yeah, I'm ready to hold on now, it's awesome. But if you do it without thinking, then it also doesn't have any taste. So when you're going and when you're praying, and you're wondering why your prayers are not answered, or you're wondering why this gula is not coming into fruition, you're saying Pashat Haman, if you're not thinking about what you're saying, then yes, while it's helpful, but it's very, very minuscule to the power that it would have if you would only think about what you're saying. And the lessons that we learned from Pashat Aman, what are you supposed to be thinking about? You, you look at Pashat Aman, every person received the same quantity of food every single day. It doesn't matter how hard you worked during that day. You could have went and gathered a truckload of food. When you came home, you had the same you had the same amount of measurement that was allotted to you. No matter how much effort you put, you came home with the same amount. When it comes Rosh Hashanah, Kaddish Baruch Hu, God goes and decrees how much everybody is going to make. Yes, you're supposed to put in the effort, but if you think that you'll work double hours, through triple hours, and you'll sacrifice your learning to lie, you'll sacrifice your minyan, you'll sacrifice your family, and that's going to give you more money, how badly are you mistaken? The lesson that you learn from it is that God gives everybody exactly what they needed to, and that is the lesson we, one of the lessons that we learned from Pashat Aman. So it is important to, yes, say Pashat Aman, but also to think about what you're saying. Now, before we get on further, I want to just explain a little bit of, of, of the way that we're going to be, be dealing with today's class. So some things, and I really should have said this earlier, this is a class you really should take a pen and paper out. If not, you should review it afterwards and really write it down. Because some things I'm just going to, we're going to go through a list of like, I don't know how many schoolot. I probably should have counted, but I don't know, maybe 30, 40, 50 schoolot. We'll go through a lot of schoolot. Some of them, I'm just going to say the schoolot and move on. Some of them, I'm going to go into detail. So the Pasha Taman, but that went into detail. Now I want to give you a few other things that I'm just going to give you the, the skula, and you can decide what you're going to do with it. Again, sometimes, you know, at the end of the class, you're going to be like, well, that is way too much. I don't know if I can do everything. You don't have to do everything. Or you could, if you want to. Pick whatever it is that you can. Some things are obviously more important than others, but I'm going to try to give you the full package. Again, not all the package. I'm going to try to give you a majority of what I've went and what I've, I've looked through of the... Um, of these topics, and it's a shame. I wanted to give, show you there's a Sethel. Uh, if anybody wants a lot, okay, I got it. Let me, let me go show it to you. It's in Hebrew, but give me a second. Let me just show you this, uh, this book. Okay, that was like an intermission over there. All right, so a lot of the stuff take, it was taken from this sefer called Otsa Panasa. Um, so if somebody wants to go and look into more detail, they do, they, I didn't put in everything over there. I just took in a, a big majority of things. But there is a whole sefer that is kind of uh, where, where a lot of the information came from on the skulot for, for Panasa. So again, so let's go through them. Let's you know, go through uh, quite a few of the, of the, of the skulot. 
the Imre Pemchas goes, and says when a person goes and davens for Panasah, there's a certain Kavanah that you should have. And the Kavanah is that there's a concept that more that the calf wants to nurse, the cow wants to nurse the calf. Meaning that the baby wants to drink the milk, but more than the baby wants to drink the milk, the mother wants to give it. Besides the pain issues and the emotional issues, there's other aspects to it. So when we go and we're praying, we have to think about that God wants to give us everything, only the good. And it pains the heaven, it pains God that God wants to give His children everything. But there are certain things that are preventing, whether it's your spiritual love, whatever it is, to, to, to all the calculations of, of whatever it is that Kaddish Baruch has. But when we're davening, that is a focus that we need to go and think about it, that it's, that it's also a pain in Shemayim, it's also a pain in heaven, because the people down here are suffering. The next thing is that there's a tefillah of Panasah in Shema Koleinu. In Shmona Esra, there's a tefillah, if you look in most Sidurim, there is a tefillah on, on, you know, on Panasah over there. I quickly open it up over here, a Sidur. Look how it was, I didn't have to run, I happened to have a Sidur right over here. So in Shema Koleinu, there, in, again, in most Sidurim, there's two types of prayers. There's a prayer, there's a prayer for Tshuva, and then there's a prayer for uh, Panasah. And I guess, I don't know if I can show you over here, if you could see. So it's usually on the bottom, again, this is not the most, but it's usually on the bottom of Shmakalenu. You see over here, there's two types of prayers. Um, there's there's the, the, the Tfilah for Tshuva, and there's a Tfilah for Panasah. So that is also a Skula for Panasah, that when you're getting up to Shmakalenu, before Kiyatah Shomayat Tfilah, when you go and you say all your Bakashot, all your requests, there is a special Tfilah over there for Panasah, and you're supposed to say that also. That's also a Skula for Panasah. Also, a uh, skula for Panasah is to say Igeret HaRamban every single day. There is a letter of the Ramban, it's a skula to say that every single day. This is in Sidurim, but not all Sidurim, very, very few. I don't know why more Sidurim didn't put this in, but again, you can find this. There's an article has a whole uh, you know, explanation of it, Igeret HaRamban. The next thing is saying Kohelet, I'm sorry, saying the Kitorot inside a cloth. Oh, my phone is not here. I should, I, should have, I really should have prepared better for this and showed you all everything over there. But there's a thought that you could go to this farm store or you go to a sofa where, and you see a lot of people in shul for the men that are listening to this, you see a lot of people in shul, they go and they read it from the Torah, the, the this is, by saying it specifically in a cloth, is a skula for, uh, for Panasah. Also, skula for Panasah is saying every single day the 13 principles of faith, the Yud Gimel Karim. These are also a skula for Panasah. Next thing is saying three chapters of Tehillim after davening. And it doesn't matter which three, any three, just three chapters of, of, of Tehillim. Also it is saying, saying the, the chapter 145, uh, chapter 145 three times. There's also a special skula with chapter uh, Tehillim, a chapter 29. There's another skula for saying Tehillim chapter 23 before meals. Before meals, the, this uh, chapter has 57 words, the numerical value of Zan. There's a special uh, skula for that as well. There is also two psukim. One pasuk is to say one time is for tefillah for panasah. It's Genesis chapter forty-nine, verse twenty. It's melech. This is a skula for panasah. Also, Bereshit Genesis chapter forty-three, verse eleven. That is also a skula for panasah. But this verse to say it seven times each week after Shabbat. This is a skula that you know I, I, I once said it and years ago, and somebody came over to me afterwards. And uh, it's funny because he wasn't so religious. And he says, I want to just tell you, you know, I went through a few schools, not as much as I'm going to go today. And he said, I tried this and I got to tell you, it worked. And I'm like, why are you surprised? Of course it's going to work. It's a school out. The Torah says that this is going to work. But each week after Shabbat is over, you say the name Eliyahu 70 times, exactly 70 times. But when you say the name Eliyahu, you're concentrating each time on the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a name of God, which name? 
The name Aleph, Gimel, Lamed, Aleph. So again, that you're saying Eliyahu. 70 times, thinking of the name of Hashem, Aleph, Gimel, Lamed, Aleph. Next thing is this, when you pray, that you actually say each word when you pray. You think about it, okay, you know, you think about school. It's actually when you pray, you pray. <laughs> That's a school. When you pray, you're actually saying each word. Also, another school is for Panasa is not to do any work before you pray. There's a lot of people that they go and they're rushing and they get, you know, they start doing work before and then they run to pray. Skulaf Panasa is not to do any work before you daven. For the men, it's a skula not to take off the tefillin until after Aleinu. And also, finally, regarding the, the prayer, there's a skula for davening together with a tzibur, davening with a minyan. That is also a skula for Panasa. So that concludes the section of prayer. Now let's go to the section of learning Torah. Oh my gosh, I can't believe how late it is. Well, we just got started. Okay. The, se- the section for learning Torah. The Avnei Nezer goes and says something fascinating. He says that the Tzaras, the suffering that come to the Jewish nation, comes to Israel, is because when they learn Gemara, they're learning Gemara, but they're learning it as if they want to sleep. And they're falling asleep. Oh yeah, oh, yeah where, where are we up to? And that's the way that they're learning. But if you learn Torah with energy, no one will be missing Panasa. So there's a school out that when you learn, of course there's a school out to learn, but when you're learning to learn... With, with that fire, with that energy, that you're not falling asleep when you're, uh, you know, you're learning it, you're going and you're listening, you're excited, you're awake, you're alert, you're focused. The Imre Pinchas goes and says that you learn each day Mishnah. Mishnah is the same gematria, the same numerical value as Panasa. There's also a skula that you set a set time to learn every single day. Every single day you know, even if it's for five minutes, it doesn't matter, but every single day you set a set time to learn something. And there's different things. There's, there's actually schoolot when you're learning different svarim. There's schoolot to learn Zohar every single day. Again, to whoever is on the level. There's also, if you learn uh, the, the, the Sefer of Rabbeinu Bachya, is also a schoolot for Panasah, as well as the Sefer Noam and the Melech. There's also a schoolot for learning the 613 mitzvot. That is also a schoolot for, uh, for Panasah. And the Chafetz Chaim goes and says, you know, like people, when they go and they sit and they learn, they shouldn't think, okay, that's taking away from my Panasah. If I'm sitting and I'm learning, God is not going to go and say, okay, wait, listen, this person is listening to me, is sitting, and is learning my Torah. I'm going to take away from his, from his uh, Panasah. So when you, you don't lose out regarding your learning your, uh, the, the Torah. Another thing regarding learning Torah is also honoring the Torah. The Gemara in Shabbat, page 119a, goes and says that what the schut the people in Babel had to be wealthy. So one of the things that they said, we're going to go speak about something else also, but one of the things they said is that they honor the Torah. They give special kavot to the Torah. They give the kavot to the rabbis. They give the kavot to the Torah. They have special respect for it. And, and it's something, it's, it's very interesting that you see in certain communities that they have tremendous amount of respect towards the Torah, to the, towards their rabbis, it's unbelievable. They treat, it, they treat them on a level that is so high. Like, I remember one, you know, I spoke in, in a few of these you know, uh, communities, and the way that they honor you is like, I feel like, too, like a piece of dirt. I'm like, I don't deserve of that amount of honor that you're giving me. Like, it's crazy. They give you honor, like, like to such a high level. That it's unbelievable. The Torah, the Rabbi, oh my God. You know, to such a high level. And you see something very interesting. That community is blessed with tremendous amount of success. Those communities. On the other hand, still remember this to this day. Uh, you know, I didn't get this often. But one time, I was giving a, a speech 
it was in a uh, you know I don't want to give too much too much um, too much details into it, but I was giving a speech, and as in the middle I was speaking, I was literally clapped off, like literally they were like, okay, you're done, you know, but it ended up being like one guy that was whatever it was it was a situation itself but all I can tell you was great kapara oh that was unbelievable the kapara that I had in that thing but it was interesting and this community was you know whatever you know some are wealthy some are not but it's very interesting how you have people that honor the rabbis to such a high degree and then you have people that honor the rabbis to such a low degree. And again, I'm not using myself as an example. I'm just, just anything. The way that they speak to the rabbis. It doesn't have to be the rabbis of their synagogue, whatever it was. You know, you listen to them and be like, where's your respect? Like, even if it's not, you know, to the aspect of, you know, honoring, just like a respect to a person. Those are the people have a lack of respect. That, you know, I, I've had people that, and I can only tell you because this is my personal experience. I had people that call me up and they asked me to do something which I don't want to get into because it was a ridiculous request. It was like, they asked me to help them do an Avera. That literally was what they tried to do. And I was like, I'm not helping you to do that. And the response was, why not? This is your job. And I'm like, from who? Who is this my job for? Like, why is this my job? He's like, wait a minute. You're, you know, like, people go, and, and, and I went, and I, I maybe, I don't know, maybe the guy didn't understand. I went and I explained to him, but people don't understand that, like, you know, they think, like, okay, so you're a rabbi, so now, oh, okay, so now you're, you're servicing the, your, my community, so you're my slave. So you could do my dirty work, so you could do whatever I want. And again, maybe some people would say that. I tend to not swing that way. And, uh, you know, if there's something that I see, if they would have, happens to be, if they would have asked me something that um, was kosher and was needed, very likely that I would have done it. Without even, even if they would have said it in the most disrespect, I, I would have I done it, most likely. But they asked me to do an avera. They asked me to do a, the hop and do an avera, and I'm like, where? Like, how did where? Like, we like, what was the pro? I was so curious. I'm like, how did your brain come to that conclusion? And and I that's why I was asking asking this guy, and he was like, and the way they responded was like, well, this is what you do. This is what your job is, and I'm like, okay, who's paying me? For like we're when you're saying job, like what do you what do you think that happens? Like you think that that I actually get paid for for like this stuff? Like where where do you understand like this concept, Rob? And I don't know where he came on with this, but when people go and they think that they're owed something, they treat them very differently. And when people feel like someone's doing them a favor, they treat them very differently. And you have to think, you have to realize that any rabbi in any community. That they're going and they're devoting their time to learning. No rabbi gets paid enough for what they're doing. No rabbi of any of your, your rabbi of your is not getting paid enough. They literally work like twenty five hours a day in, in many cases. They're quite from all the and what are they getting? A few dollars from the shul, from the little donations. The, the, no rabbi is making the money that they they should be making a thousand times more. They should, but they they don't because they are doing this not for the aspect of the money. They're doing this because they go and they go and they help. You know, cholesterol. They're going. They're trying to do good. They're trying to go and follow the Torah. They're trying to do what God wants them to do. So when you think about it, that this person is sacrificing his free time. You sit with a lawyer. You sit with somebody. You know, you know, rabbis. They sit and they learn. You think about okay, a lawyer. I have to pay him a lot of money. Why? Because they went three years to college, and then they went for for the graduate for the doctorate, and then they spend four years in undergrad. And you go to a doctor, you pay a lot of money. Why? Because they spend. You know, eight years in college, twelve years in college. If they're going and they're specializing, so you got to spend a lot of money. A rabbi has literally been learning for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. How much is he worth? 
Probably a lot, a lot of money. Yet what? You feel like, oh, I don't have to pay him anything. I'm just going to go and you know, deal with everything. So when you think about it like that, so why would you honor somebody that you don't have any respect for? But when you start and think about it, wait a minute, this is a rabbi that literally gives us time for other people without asking for anything. Like, then all of a sudden you're on, again, again, some rabbis maybe you have to pay, so uh, whatever it is, I'm not going to get into that. But the majority of people, you go to speak to a rabbi, they're not going to charge you anything. They go and they sit with you whatever long it takes. You have to realize it. So the respect that you have for the rabbis is also the respect that you have for the Torah that they learned. And that in itself is skulah for panasah. There's a skulah for panasah that you go and you have to realize of what, and sometimes you're not there, so you have to, you have to put yourself in this aspect of how are you going to go and respect it. Of course, respect of Torah is you have svarim, you go and, go and throw it on the floor, you go and you get, it drops on the floor, you give it a kiss, you put it up on the floor, you have svarim. Also respect is to open it every once in a while. Maybe look inside before it collects dust on your bookshelf. Also respect. So that is another aspect of honoring the Torah is a skulah for panasah. Let's move on to the next thing, Shabbat. Shabbat is so important. Oh, I can't tell you how important it is. I, you, you know, I have people that they come and they come to me and they're having all these troubles, whatever it is. One of the first things that I ask them is, is, you know, when they're trying to say, what am I supposed to do in the spiritual aspect? One of the first things that I usually ask them is, how are you holding a Shabbat? You keep Shabbat. Shabbat is the source of all the blessing. The fact that the Gemara goes and says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God told Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm sorry. There's a special gift that I have in my treasure house. God, the king of kings, says that I have a special gift in my treasure house. Now when you have a mortal king, and he has some sort of treasure, whatever it is, so there's a certain treasure that he displays for the, open, for the public to see. But what is the most significant treasure? What is the most priceless treasure. What is the treasure that is worth the most and the most valuable and the most precious to the, to, to the king? That they don't display to everybody else. They put that in the treasure house. They locked it up behind the safe, in the vault. God goes over to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, I have a special present, a special treasure in my treasure house. And you don't know what it is, says the Gemara. This is Shabbat. Shabbat is something that's in my treasure house, says God. There's so much power of it. In fact, the, the, the Chazal goes and tells us the mitzvah of Shabbat is equal to all the other mitzvot combined. And thus, on Friday night in the Chadodi, we go and we say that Shabbat is the source of all blessings. People come and say, where is my blessing? I can't have this. The first thing that I usually, the first thing I ask, you keep Shabbat? You keep, you know, of, of course there's kosher and there's learning to Torah, there's all these important things, but what about Shabbat, the source of all your blessings? What about all this, the, the, the power that you have, the, the source of all the blessing that you have? There was a, a rabbi that had a woman that came over to him and said that she has a problem conceiving. She couldn't have any children. So the rabbi goes over to her and he says, um, you know, how are you uh, doing on Shabbat? You know, I was like, are you keeping Shabbat? So she says, to be honest, it's a, you know, a little bit difficult. You know, I, I, you know, I don't work on Shabbat, but I, I, I use my phone. I use my iPad on Shabbat. She wasn't so religious. So the rabbi goes over there and says, keep Shabbat. Keep Shabbat fully. This is going to give you a tremendous amount of merit. A tremendous amount of schut that will hopefully give you the bracha of Panasah. She's like, listen, he says, my business, even though I don't work, but my business is, on, is online. I'm always on it. And the rabbi says, listen. This is, it is what it is. This is my information I'm giving you. You do with it what you want. 
She said, you know what? I'm going through a very hard time. She's married for a few years, still didn't conceive. She says, you know what? Fine. I'm going to start keeping Shabbat. And she kept, you know, she decided that she's going to uh, start keeping Shabbat. Three weeks go by. Three weeks go by. She calls the rabbi up. She says, I'm expecting. Married for years without any kids. Started keeping Shabbat. Within three weeks, she started, you know, she started, uh, she was expecting a child. That same rabbi, a few years go by. And uh, a man brings his wife to speak to this rabbi. And he said, you know, that, uh, you know, quite some time ago, a few years ago, his wife was diagnosed with a certain, you know, machla, with a certain sickness, and she was healed. And now, they recently went, they did another test, and they said that it doesn't look good. So he goes over to the rabbi, he says, can I bring my wife to you? She's broken, she, she doesn't know how to deal with it. So uh, the rabbi says, of course. And he brings a husband and wife come, and they're sitting with the rabbi. And they're sitting with the rabbi, they're, they're explaining the situation. And as they're explaining the situation, the story of years ago, what happened with this woman expecting popped into his head. So he goes over, and he, and he tells over this story. And he says, there's a special power in Shabbat. He says, how are you guys keeping Shabbat? And at that point, they weren't you know, really keeping Shabbat. And they said, you know, keep Shabbat. And this woman was like, I'll do whatever it takes. Like, whatever it is. Like, she was still in the, in the in-between stage. They kind of, they checked, they saw something. They said, it doesn't look good, but they didn't know anything, what it was. So she started keep doing, uh, keeping Shabbat. The following week, one week goes by, she, they call up the rabbi. They said they went to another doctor. Another doctor was able to go and do a biopsy. The original doctor couldn't do a biopsy. The second doctor was able to do a biopsy, and they found out that it was benign. There was no issue with it whatsoever. So there's a special, special blessing of Shabbat. But when we come and we think about it, they're like, but what does Shabbat have to do with Panasah, with money? So I want to share with you something, something beautiful. In Judaism... The most common number, yeah, the most common number in Judaism is, anybody know? Well, oh, very good, I just saw my mouth it. Number seven. The, common, the most common number in Judaism is number seven. They're very interesting, you have seven branches in the Menorah. They sprinkle the blood seven times in the Bet HaMikdash. There's seven days of Shiva. There's Sheva Bachot, there's seven days of, uh, of blessing for Chatan HaKala, which also have seven blessings as well in the seven days. There's seven days of Nida. There's seven Aliyot when you read in the Shabbat in the, in the Torah. There's seven Mitzvot and Sukkot. There's seven Noachad laws. There's seven days per week. There's seven words of Yemen Yehishmei Rabbah that's recited seven times a day. There's seven primary rabbinic laws. There's seven names of the Yetzirah. There's seven levels of Gehenom. We could go on and on. There is a lot of seven is, is all I'm trying to say. A lot of seven. Maybe one day when we speak about numbers, we'll speak about it. There's literally, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think Rabbi Eitan Feiner, years ago I once saw that he wrote 300 different things of the number seven in Judaism. 300. If I'm not mistaken, I may be mistaken, but I believe it was 300. So years ago I saw this. So anyways, 7 is very, very important in Judaism. But you think about it, what's so important about the number 7? So when you look at the number 6, the number, whoever's not familiar with numbers, it's the number prior to uh, 7. So you look at the number 6. The number 6 is, is a very, very physical number. It's the... Any, any directional, everything has like six directions. So if you think about it this way, so you're standing, right? So you have the front, the right, the left, the back, the up, the down. So you have four around, up and down, that's two, that's six. And you are the focal point inside of there. That, the, six represents the, the physicality. And that's why something very interesting, uh, the number six has its circle on the bottom, representing the physicality. The number nine has a circle on top, that's what represents the spiritual. Eight is the connection. We're not going to get into that, that's for a different class in itself. But anyways, six, Represents the, the, the physicality. What's seven? 
Seven is when you take, the seven is the focal point, but seven is when you take that physical and you imbue that physical with spiritual. So you think about it like this. A human being is physical, but they have, at least they should have, a soul inside them. If there is no soul, soul inside the human, then the human cannot survive. And it goes for everything. Everything that's living has some sort of soul, some level of soul, depending on the, on the, you know, if it's an animal, if it's a plant, whatever it is, everything living will have some sort of aspect of a soul. If the soul leaves the human, the human doesn't have any more, any potential to do anything. It just, it, it collapses. The body, the physicality is not able to sustain itself without the spiritual aspect of it. So in order for the six, to sustain itself, it has to have the spiritual life force of the seven. And with that, it could develop, it could advance, it could sustain itself, it could, you know, it, it, it could thrive, it could survive. Says the Maharal. When one works for six days, that what is he doing? He's taking the physicality and he's making the physicality, he's making his panasa. The seventh day, Shabbat, what you're doing by keeping Shabbat is you're taking your previous six work days and now you're imbuing that physicality with that spirituality. So you're taking the physical, the six physical work days that you worked, that you made money, and you keep Shabbat, and that Shabbat goes and imbues that money with the spiritual aspect of it. And this is something that we know as something that's blessed money. And now we think about it, what is blessed money? So you have people that make a lot of money. Tremendous amount of money, but for whatever reason, it's odd, they can't make their ends meet. Yes, maybe they're spending significantly more, whatever it is, they just can't, there's like uh, things that come up, they should really be making a lot, they should really be able to save a lot more money, but they're, they're not able to make their ends meet. And then you have people that are not making a lot of money. And in fact, the Kutzka Rebbe goes and explains that sometimes you see small amounts of money going a long way. Mathematically, it makes no sense. But somehow somebody who's not making a lot of money is able to cover all their expenses. So that's something that's called blessed money, where you have a little bit, but it goes a lot further. So blessed money is something that you're able to enjoy every dollar. Not blessed money is that it just falls away. You're not able to enjoy it. You don't know where it went. Like, like I don't understand. Like, I, I should have been making a lot more money this month. I don't know where, uh, you know, all these expenses. It's just like it's not blessed. You don't, you're not able to enjoy it. You're not able to utilize it. B'nai Yitzchasar once uh, tested it. He gathered some people and he looked at their expenses versus their income. And these are people that were, you know, didn't have a lot of money. And he saw that it didn't add up. He says the expenses were much larger than their actual income. Now you don't have to be an accountant to know, you know regarding your credit and your debit, if it doesn't match up, you're using more than you're actually gaining in, you should be in the negative. But for somehow these people are able to make it go by. And he, the answer is, says the Nase it's miraculous. It's plain and simple, a nace, a miracle from heaven. Says, uh, you know, you think about, okay, Nase Salzer, this is a few hundred years ago, this is back then, what about now? So Rabbi Yehuda Bergman, he's a financial counselor in Eretz who does household budgeting for large families. He went and he attested this. He says there's something inexplicable that he finds about the financial status of people learning in Kolo. Says their income doesn't come close to meet their needs. Yet they manage to make their ends meet. And I've, I've spoken to families in Israel that are sitting and learning. And you know, some of them, they, they're always short a few hundred dollars. Every, like, even if everything, there's no unwanted expenses, but everything works smoothly, they're still short a few hundred dollars every single month. 
every single month they're short a few hundred dollars. But yet they're able to make it how? Like no one knows. Uh, who knows? It's just like, it just works. Somehow it just works. This is blessed money. Where you have a little bit and it goes a lot further versus non-blessed money that you have a lot, but it doesn't go far at all. So it's sort of an extra blessing that they have. Now blessing in Hebrew is bracha. Bracha, its root is bet, resh, chaf. There's something very interesting about these letters, bet, resh, and chaf. Bet, resh, and chaf are the only letters, very interesting, the only letters in the Aleph bet that are double the preceding letters. Meaning, Aleph is one, so bet is double one, that's two. That's for the bet. Resh is 200. The letter before resh is kuf, which is 100. Resh is double the letter before it, which is kuf. Chaf is 20. And the letter before it is yud, which is 10. So it's only these three letters. Very interesting. You take gimel and dalit, three and four. They're not double anything. The letters, one right after another, there's only three letters in the entire alphabet where it's letter is double the preceding letter. And that is the, the letters that are the root for the bless, for, for, for blessing, which is barech, for brachach, the short letter, bet, resh, and chaf. If you have blessing in your money, if you have blessing in your life, that goes double of what, double is just an example, but that goes double the far as what you would have if it's not blessed money, or if it's not blessing whatever it is that you have. And there's something very interesting, listen to this fascinating. Bechol, firstborn, is someone that when they inherit, they get double. What is the Shoresh of Bechar? Again, the same letters, Bet Chafresh. The same letters, that double letters, they have the power to go, and they, they, earn, they earn double. So when one goes, and going back to Shabbat, the blessing of money, Ki Shabbat hi Shabbat is the source of your blessing. What's the blessing? That the money could go a lot further. So that other skula in regarding to Shabbat, is that by keeping Shabbat, you have a special skula for Panasah. Now this is also, the Gemara goes and says, that wealthy people in the other lands, how did they merit the wealth? They answered, because they honored the Shabbat. The Tiferes Kodesh goes and says, furthermore, that it's a skula for Panasah to wear nice clothing on Shabbat. And in fact, I tell this to my wife, tell us like, you know, like, you know, generally my kids whenever we're shopping, if you're buying nice clothes, you should say, L'chavet Shabbos Kodesh, you should wear it for, the, for Shabbos. Your clothes should be for Shabbos. This is what you're, you're honoring the Shabbat. The Maharash goes and says that keeping Shabbat according to Halakha is also a school for Panasah. Now this is Shabbat, Halachot for Shabbat is very complex. So it's, oh yeah, I keep Shabbat. You should really go and learn Halachot for Shabbat. There's a lot that goes into it that you might think maybe you could tighten up on a few things. Saying also about Likim on Friday night is also skula for panasa. Eating fish on Shabbat is a skula for panasa. Also, eating on Friday night, eating apples. This is very interesting. One, uh, not too long ago, I went to my friend's house for Shabbat, and I saw that he had apples on his table on Friday night. And I said, what's up with the apples? And he's, he says, um, he says, it's a school for Panasana. I'm like, oh, it's so interesting. I never heard about this. And then I was learning, I was preparing for this class and I was learning this Sefer Otsar Panasa. And I found over there that eating apples on Friday night is a school for Panasa. And I, I send him a picture of it. He says, oh, does it say the, the reason behind it? It doesn't say the reason behind it, but it just says that eating Friday night apples is a school for Panasa. Next thing is saying, Vi'itin Lacha on Shabbat is also 
uh, is also scholar for Panasa. Also, eating Malav and Malka. People, you know, tend to forget. Also, people, uh, unfortunately, when Shabbat is, ends early, people sometimes forget or don't realize the importance of eating Sudash Lishit. It's very, very important to eat three meals on Shabbat. And when the Shabbat ends late, people forget Malav Malka. When you're supposed to eat after Shabbat, you're supposed to eat Malav Malka. If you're able to wash, that's, that's better. But at least eat Mizanot, eat something. Eating Malav Malka is a skula for Panasan. You should also say when you eat something malav, on, on Motzei Shabbat, you should say Lechavad Malav Malka. Okay, that is... Oh, wow, look how late it is. Oh my gosh, we didn't even get close to what I wanted to do. Okay, uh, we're, we're definitely going to have to go. I didn't realize, I was about to keep on going, and I realized that we're here already for quite some time. Uh, so that is, we're going to have to split this up into two classes. You know, it's just way too late. Um, and, but those are at least the beginning aspect of things that you have to go and you, and, and uh, the schoolot for, for Panasab Hashem. Next week we'll go and we'll discuss furthermore regarding the food, the benching, and the, um, the tzedaka as, as well. Now we'll open up. I see we had a few questions over here. So we'll open up for questions. You can either unmute yourself or you can put it in the chat box. I can't believe an hour went by. The time goes by. Yes, questions. Sorry, you can go ahead if you have a question. Okay. Okay, I think that's an un, uh, that's muted by mistake, but okay. We'll go and we'll look at the questions in uh, the chat for now, and then afterwards, whoever wants, you could go and unmute yourself. Okay, question number one. When do you do the schoolot? Is it considered... Oh, this is a good question. Is it considered Ishtadlus and therefore detract from your Amuna level? Ooh, good question. Good question. The question is like this. So let's say you do a, you do a skula. So is this considered your Ishtadlut? Is that your effort? Oh, I did this skula, so is that considered my effort? And as a separate question, even though the, the question was asked in a more of a double question, but it's really the second question, would this detract from your Amuna level that you're doing this extra Ishtadlut uh, of the skula? So let's answer one at a time. So, is Gulat considered Hishtadlut? Not for your physical, but yes, for your spiritual. So, maybe we should have brought this up, because uh, way back when, I don't remember what class this was, we spoke about, in our class of, of I think it was Amuna, it was Amuna or of, of Hishtadlut classes that we spoke about, it. maybe it was in the, I don't remember when, we, we definitely spoke about it before, but when you're dealing with Hishtadlut, when you're dealing with efforts, there's two aspects that you have to realize of efforts that you have to do. There's a physical effort, and then there's a spiritual effort that you need to do. So the physical effort is, let's say, you know, panasa is work, going to work. Um, dating, going out on dates. I don't know, whatever. Like literally, you know, doing some sort of physical effort. The spiritual effort is the prayers, is the, you know, anything else that is, uh, you know, associated with, uh, in the spiritual aspect. So the skulot will actually go towards your spiritual hishtadlut, if you could say it like that. Does it detract from your emunah level? Not necessarily. Actually, just the opposite. It should gain your emunah level because you're going and you're saying, okay, listen, I know that everything is from you, God. I know that you want to give me the best of everything. But I know sometimes I don't deserve whatever it is, so I'm doing the, the school up. What's a school up? The school up gives me extra merits for what I want to get. So if anything, it should grow your emunah level. Okay, next question. Next, you have a question? Uh, accidental mute. Okay. I understand how extra prayers and concentration are beneficial, beneficial practically and spiritually. But how do we go, we explain skulot, let's say the name Eliyahu so many times. Why does it work? Is it because of Kabbalistic reasons? So yes, a lot of uh, the things that I, is that a lot? A lot of things that I 
part of the things I said today, and a lot of things Bezat Hashem I'll say next week, is more on a Kabbalistic level, of why it works, and how the reason behind it. A lot of the things I didn't go into details, I just told you what the skula is. So some of the things, for example, the apples, I couldn't find a source for the details of it. But there is, uh, I'm sure there's a reason behind it. It's not like just someone was an apple you know, merchant one time, and goes to his friend and be like, hey, by the way, you want to know what the skula for Panasa? Buy apples from me. And you will have panasa. I mean, that's a school for panasa for the apple merchant, but not for the other guy. So again, I don't think this is, you know, when it comes into the rabbis going, they say something like this, there is a reason behind it. Not everything I was able to go and find the reasoning. So some of them have the reasonings behind it. Other ones, I don't know, or I'm sure, you know, there's other sources for it. But there is Kabbalistic reasons behind it for, um, for the way that it works. In general... The way that the reason that skulot work is that they give us there's like a special spiritual power in certain areas and that pushes it for uh, the skulot for whatever it is. Okay, next question. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, this question should be asked to every single man. Why is money such a strong desire for so many people? I think it's one of the taivas. I think it's one of the strongest taivas uh, that, that exists out there. Why? Because it gives you the opportunity, I would say, to do a lot. And uh, you, you could, you know, do a lot for your family. You could do a lot for, for God. You could do a lot for your vacation. Whatever it is, it gives you the power to do a lot. So people have a strong desire that they want to accomplish a lot. They want to do a lot. And in many people's mind, money is the answer to that. So... Uh, you know, I think that's one of the, but it's definitely one of the strongest desires that uh, that that I have to say for men. I don't know about women, um, that uh, that they do have. Okay, especially for people that grew up lacking it, it's even stronger. Okay, next one. Isn't the Torah hashkafa that it's the man's responsibility to bring in parnasa to support the family? So why nowadays do some women choose to take on that task and support the husband in learning? This sometimes causes the woman to be less available for her family and it can take a toll on her emotionally as well. So this is a great question. This is regarding questions for the people that they go and instead of uh, the husband working and the wife or and the wife working or just the husband working, the husband sits and learns and the wife supports the family learning in Kola. So this is something that I tell people also when they're dating you have to make sure what type of life that you want. Some people want a life of Torah, and they will do whatever it takes to have a life of Torah. So for the woman, they're usually the ones that are looking for these types of men. They say, listen, says, I want a life so spiritually high. Like, I realize the purpose in this world is only to serve God. And I know the purpose of this world is to grow up and grow in the spiritual realm. So I'm going to do whatever it is I can that I could do that, make that happen. I want my husband to sit and learn. And that sacrifices, number one, the amount of money that comes in. Number two, the amount of availability that the wife is going to be for the children because he's going to be working. But also, number three, the amount of shalom bias. This is friction. It's going to be friction. You have to be really strong because when there's financial uh, issues, it usually causes friction unless you're really, really strong and, and you know how to handle it. So these righteous women, they're on the level of this is what they want and this is what they decide. But again, if a woman does not want that, then this is a conversation that they have to have with a husband. The husband ca- cannot go and sit and learn on the, on the expense that her, hu- that her wife is miserable and sitting and slaving away and she doesn't want to do whatever she wants to do. Again, that doesn't mean that she's not able to work. Some people, some men work and the woman also works exactly the same, slaving the same exact, uh, exact way. Uh, just the, the different aspect is that they're both slaving away. So none of them get to spend time with their children. So again, we know that Panasa comes from God and you have, uh, and I've seen this so many times where you have 
husbands that are sitting and learning Torah, and the women were crazy successful in whatever it is that they were doing in their business, or whatever it was. Again, that doesn't go across the board. To each one their own, and God has their own calculations. But this is a test, and this is something that when you're dating, and when you're looking at what you want to, you know, in, in, in a husband and a family, this is something you have to consider. Okay. So, uh, next, uh, keep going. So if I keep going, I realize, I didn't realize how long this would take me. I'm here for at least another hour, or 45 minutes minimum. <laughs> uh, okay, next. I heard having in mind on the meaning of Kiddush Friday night has a lot of brachot. So that's interesting. There is kavanot on, on the Friday night. I'm just curious of which one, if you could text, which one, what type of kavanot are you referring to? Because yes, in general, first of all, in general, first of all, generally, if when you do special kavanot that, that, that gives you so much more power of whatever you're doing in the spiritual sense, that's why Kabbalah, a lot of Kabbalists are people that go and they follow Kabbalah, even a lot of Siddurim now they have it, is they, before you do certain mitzvot, there's l'shem yichut, which gives you an, an emotion, you're having in mind what you're doing. It gives you sort of like a, an understanding what you're about to do, and that, that imbues what you're about to do with such a high, higher level of spirituality. Okay, next. If one works on their emunah and bitachon, <clears throat> it's so funny, I have so many questions today. I thought there would be more questions last week. Last week, no questions. This week, I have so, okay, Bo Hashem, good. Next, okay, question. If one works on their emunah and bitachon, knowing everything is from Hashem, is that enough that they don't have to pray for whatever they need? I like this question. This question is that if, let's say, you have a high level of it, ooh, actually, you know, the more that I'm thinking about it, the more amazing this question is. This question is unbelievable. The more that you think, uh, the more emunah that you have, the more power that you have. So the question is let's say you have a high level of emunah, then maybe, in that sense, you don't have to pray for it. Because you have a high level of emunah and bitachon. And while my initial thought would be, yeah, that sounds great. But when you think about it, it's actually, when you're praying for something, that should increase your emunah, not decrease your emunah. So what is emunah? Emunah is realizing that everything is from God. And God has the ability to give you everything, and God only wants the best from you. When you're going and you're praying... To for God to give this or whatever it is that you want, you're, in essence, it should be strengthening your munah. You shouldn't be thinking about, like, hey, wait a minute, if I believe in it so much, then why pray? Because everything is going to be, everything is from God. Which, the, the thought is a very good thought. But, in essence, the correct form of prayer is realizing that everything is from God and God gives you everything and that in itself should increase your munah and doesn't detract from it and you should be praying for it as well. What is the proof and point that we have for this? That anybody that is sick, any gadol that is sick, what happens? Everybody goes and stops, and they say to Yilim, Oh, but why? It's a gadol adol, I have a munam b'tachon, that everything's going to be okay. Because no, we see that you have, there's a prayer, is a very, very important aspect. And in fact, in fact, the number one way to get anything in this world is through prayer. So yes, you have to have the munam b'tachon, but also you have to pray as well. Here's a good question. Can one do a skula for someone else? So prayer is a skula, and you could do it for somebody else. But can you say parashat aman for somebody else? That's a good question. You could pray for somebody else, so why can't you do something in the spirit? We go and we learn, not somebody else, technically you could. But here's, I don't see why not. It's an interesting question. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Maybe, but I, I don't see why not. It's, it's, it's an interesting thought. I would have to look. I, never, I don't have a source for it, but it's a, it's a good question. Okay, next question. Uh, next question. Do you say Eliyahu or Eliyahu Hanavi or Eliyahu Ben? Okay, no. The, the, you just say for the seventy times you just say Eliyahu. 
just Eliyahu. Next question: Is davening considered hishtadlut? And if it do, if it is, does that mean that you that's all the effort that you need? So again, like we mentioned before, it's the part of the spiritual hishtadlut. Okay. Next question: When my husband finishes shalom aleichem and continues with, <coughs> I need to say, I continue with davening agaris, agaris ram and tefillah shalu hakadosh hakadosh avos habanim tefillah emuna and tefillah toida. Oh, are you saying that you say these tefillahs? Okay, I'm not following that question. I'm assuming that you're saying you say certain tefillahs when your husband is davening that. By all means, any tefillahs more than welcome. There's no reason why it should be uh, bad, especially if it, it seems like you're saying also zmiros over there. Again, I'm a little bit confused by that question, so if you want, you can, re, uh, uh, you know, can rephrase that. Next question, what is the reason behind saying Tehillim? And is there a reason that both perform, that you specify both in the number 20? I don't understand that question. We did say, you know, we did say Tehillim, um, but I believe it was uh, Tehillim, you know, whatever it was, the, the Tehillim Chafkimah, but I don't know, I, I'm, not, I'm not, I don't understand that question, so please if you could uh, rephrase that. Next question, is it so, it's something I do not, I do not, that took from somewhere, I just work hard to connect to Hashem certain times of day, especially Shabbat, also by candle lighting. First of all, by candle lighting, huge, 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 huge time to go for davening during that time, especially for your kids. Um, but again, even if you didn't see that anywhere, that's still something very good. You should still continue doing it. Next question. If one is not worried about money, and they do this gulot, which bring to mind that they maybe they have to start worrying about money, should they do gulot, or is it better not to worry, or to worry that it will start making them davening more for the money? <laughs> this is a good question. It's like a double, double bag question. So if somebody's not worried about money, they're going to start doing this school, they're going to start worrying about money. So I don't believe that's the correct uh, aspect to look at it. Rather, that you should do this gulot. There's nothing wrong with this gulot. So you could definitely do this gulot, even if you're not worried about money. And think of it as extra prayers or whatever it is. If you feel like it's not on your, you know, you don't want to, you, you want to utilize the time to learn or pray for other things, then by all means. But I don't think that doing these schoolot, again, most of these schoolot is, is regarding prayer and doing different things for the spiritual growth, then um, it's something that I don't think that you will, uh, you, you know, it's going to make you lose. If you're saying the apples and all the other things, okay, fine, if that you're not, you don't want to do that uh, for whatever reason, then, that, then, you know, I hear that. But the prayer aspects of things definitely do that. Um, okay, regarding the definition of Kiddush, meaning of it word by word, yes. The more that you understand the prayer, the better and the stronger that it is. Next question, is the skula more powerful based on how hard it is for you? For example, focusing on learning Torah at all times harder than saying Eliyahu seven times on every time it's Moshe Shabbat. So, in a sense, um, yes. Uh, the Chazal tells from Tzara Agra, it says in Pirkei Elvos, that the more difficult something is for you, the greater the reward. So, in a sense, yes, it is greater. But what is going to be more beneficial for you, it's hard to say because I'm not God, and I don't know what your soul is lacking, and I don't know what your... Sometimes doing something little could do the switch that you need for your neshama to get the blessing. And sometimes, you know, you need a lot more. So it's hard to say that, in general, doing the harder one is going to give you more than the lower one. But the, what you're saying is true. The more difficult something is, the greater the reward, and then obviously the greater the power. Okay, next question. Okay, uh, this is sort of off topic. What is the difference between emunah and bitachon? So very, very quickly and briefly, emunah 
is where you take the concept and you, you, you have the ideas. Bitachon is where you actualize it, where it becomes part of you. So it's, it's like a stronger level of, of it. But in essence, they both mean kind of the same thing. We have a, I have a class at Hall that, you know, describing the difference. In one of the first classes I gave on the Seven of the Han, you can check on Torah anytime, where I go into details of it. But, but in essence, it's like a, it's like a stronger, more physical aspect of it. Okay, next. If someone, okay, we're going through, uh, a lot of questions, so we're gonna to try to go through the questions a lot, uh, quicker. If someone's truly happy with what they have, and they don't feel the need for money, and will not feel the need, and they will not feel the need to pray for it, is it better than wanting more money and praying for it, thereby attaining a Munai connection with Hashem, and fulfilling the mitzvah of praying? So this is something very good. Let's say someone's happy, they don't need any more money. Um, and they feel like maybe if by praying for it, that's gonna cause a lack in something like this. I would say to focus a little bit different then. I would say to focus on gratitude. Because gratitude is also a big um, school for things. So if you don't feel like you need something, then, how, then you should be thanking God nonstop for what you have. I mean, you should be thanking God nonstop for what you have always. But even more so in this situation. So if you feel you need something, definitely go and pray. Uh, and, and when you're talking to God, show the gratitude that you have. Is candlelighting... Time also an opportune time for an unmarried woman. Yes, candlelighting is a very, very uh, powerful time and should be uh, utilized appropriately and should be adopting uh, for whatever it is that you want. Um, okay, uh, regarding a previous question that was you know re-explained, I was just saying that I believe Shabbos has so many brachos and and the day is so short, so I try to squeeze every moment to daven. So when while my husband sings mirrors, I daven not only for Panas, but all school say every single night. Yes, that is that is good, that is true. There is an aspect not to daven for for physical things on Shabbat, but we're not gonna get into that uh, into that now. Okay. The next thing is bacteria is a living cell and shows all the characteristics of life seen in other animals. Right, so that I'm aware of. So I think it fits in the level of Chaya. Maybe I'm curious if a virus fits in, in the four level of domain since it's not scientifically considered alive. However, it's not stationary, it does not move, uh, it does not all move and does and do things. So yeah, that was my thought. When thinking about bacteria, I know that it's alive, and that's why you have antibiotics that kill it and destroy it, um, depending if it acts on its cell wall or how it, how it goes and it attacks its nucleus. But there is, that, that's what I would think also, but in the other aspect, it's none of what the Kabbalah speaks about. So maybe yes, maybe no, I don't know. Interesting, very interesting point. Okay. Um, next question if Shabbat is so powerful and has the ability to grant us panasa then why can't we davening oh here it is okay, I didn't even say that. why can't we daven for anything on Shabbat Shabbat the reason for that is Shabbat is, a, is a, one of the reasons is I should say Shabbat is where you focus on the spiritual aspect and not on the physical aspect also once you start praying for money on Shabbat the problem is that you start thinking about money and one of the schoolot is not to think about money on Shabbat you're not supposed to be talking about money you're not supposed to be thinking about money on Shabbat Okay, next. I heard that poverty will always be around, even by Mashiach, because the Jew stands on Chesed. But by then, everyone will respect Torah. So how could this? Uh, so how could this be? So while there be different levels, I, I think poverty is is a uh, is a difficult thing to understand. What will be during the times of Mashiach? People will be lacking, um, because according to the Rambam, first of all, let's just be clear: when dealing with Mashiach, the Rambam, I believe, goes and says that we don't know until, until, until we'll actually be there. We don't know what it's going to be. So, yes, we have different ideas and different things that will be, but we don't know until Mashiach will actually, will actually come. How and why and when will it be, we don't know how it will come. But, regarding for 
the aspect of chesed, there will always be an aspect of chesed, but when Mashiach comes, there's going to be a less of, there's lots of free will, especially after the Satan goes and gets um, destroyed, there's going to be less free will. So, uh, the way that we explained it when we spoke about the Mashiach series, is that you'll be able to work on things that you started working on before Mashiach comes. So there is an aspect of doing chesed. There's all these different aspects of, of potential spiritual growth, but that's really only depending on what you focused on before Mashiach comes. Again, a lot to speak about this. If you want to look about it more, I would definitely tell you to look in the Mashiach series that we spoke about, what was it, like four years ago. Um, great series, a lot of good information. Look at that. Whew. You know, it's funny. I, th- I didn't think that I was going to catch up. Every time I was getting more and more questions, it was telling me 22 Question, 22 comments, 30 comments. I was like, oh, let me go faster, try to catch up. I hope we answered all the questions. If not, you can feel free to unmute. And if not, until next week, Bezat Hashem will continue with this topic and will uh, go on with the, um, the continuation and try hopefully to finish up the skulot for uh, Parnasa. Thank you all for joining. May HaKadosh Baruch give each and every single one of us tremendous amount of Parnasa. Beravach, Beshefa, Benachas, just with all the blessings that you can have. Oh, one final question. If you do a skula for so long and nothing comes out of it, should you continue because it means the Yeshua is close or does it mean the answer is no? Never, ever give up. Always, always continue. Never, never stop. Um, if you're doing something and you didn't see that it works, just continue doing it. Don't stop. All right. Thank you all for joining. For everybody who wants, we have a, uh, almost every Thursday night, we have a women's only WhatsApp, uh, WhatsApp group and, and then we have a combination also for men and women. But, uh, it's a Thursday night class for women only, and it's if you want, you can be added to the WhatsApp group to get all the information. Otherwise, you can email me. Thank you all for joining. Until next week, have an amazing, amazing week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.